Well, welcome back, everybody. The Federal Reserve Bank is one of the most important and complex institutions on the planet. It is integral to our nations as well as our global economy, providing stability to the financial services industry while facilitating trillions of dollars of payments daily, and that's T trillions. Gada Ejim is the CIO for the Federal Reserve System. She leads the Fed's technology and cybersecurity professionals to move at the speed of business, to drive collaboration and innovation, all to shape the Fed's digital future. Overseeing IT within a federated organization, she partners with leaders across the reserve banks and centralized service providers to work as one team for fast and flexible IT delivery, improved digital ways of working, and better insights and decision-making in support of the Fed's public mission. A few months ago, I was present at the CIO 100 Awards event when Gauda was inducted into the CIO Hall of Fame. It's a special night, and you're about to see why it was so well-deserved. So Gauda, welcome. Please know how incredibly honored I am to be able to shine the light on you today, on your leadership journey and the amazing work you and your team do at the Fed. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Dan, for having me. It's great to be with you. I kind of touched on this, but the, the Fed is truly a one-of-a-kind organization. And I bet if we went in the street today and asked 100 people, we would get a lot of blank stares. We get a lot of bad answers. And uh, not to sound crass, Gata, but, you know, I think on the outside, people might say, you know, it's a bunch of stuffy economists and bankers inside there. And so we're going to unpack that some more. But could you take us inside the Fed, Gata, and by first sharing what it does why it matters, and maybe some of the staggering numbers that we have no idea about. Great. Thanks, Dan. Yes, definitely. The Fed is a mystery for many people. Uh, and it was a mystery uh, for me before I joined the organization. And I was amazed at how wonderful the organization is, how smart the people that work inside the organization, and how important the mission of the Fed is. So let me keep it simple for everybody. So if you receive a paycheck, most probably 50% uh, of the nation receives the paycheck through uh, the payment network that the Fed runs between uh, the banks. Uh, if you go to the ATM machine and pull cash, uh, the cash has been processed through our cash machines and we process over 20 billion cash notes uh, in a year. Uh, you know, if you pull a mortgage uh, for your house uh, or take a mortgage on your car, the interest rate, of course, as you all hear in the news these days, uh, is decided by the Fed in order to manage uh, the monetary policy for the country. And, uh, you know, for Treasury, uh, we process over $10 trillion uh, of Treasury auctions on behalf of the U.S. Treasury. Uh, Interbank settlement, uh, you know, uh, we run over $4 trillion a day in terms of wholesale uh, transactions. So that gives you a flavor of uh, more of the payment side and the market side of the treasure of the Fed. Of course, we, we know what the Fed does in terms of monetary policy. We look at uh, the economy, we look at employment, we look at inflation, and we uh, decide monetary policy to make sure that the economy is healthy. And we also make sure that the banks are healthy. So we supervise over 750 banks uh, in the country uh, to make sure that the, they are sound and they're stable uh, so that the people continue the trust in the banking system. Uh, so that's the Fed in a nutshell, in hopefully simple terms that people can relate to. Yeah, that's just fascinating. And it just really helps us understand how it does touch us in everyday life directly, indirectly. And, and you talk about, trillions, right? So something tells me technology's got a, a bit of a role to play in this, Ghana. So talk, take us inside the role of technology at the Fed and your kind of unique, one-of-a-kind role as the CIO of the system, right? Of the Federal Reserve Bank system. Technology is really important because like any organization, uh, the business runs on technology. Uh, there's no business that does not have a technology component. And as you highlighted, Dan, with trillions of dollars in sort of the country's economy riding uh, on the Fed, 
We want to make sure that our systems are reliable, they're stable, they're secure. Uh, so we treat them uh, with a high focus and high importance on reliability, security, and resiliency. The technology organization with the, within the Fed is slightly unique, and maybe not too unique relative to global organizations, but it's akin to a global organization. We have 12 independent reserve banks, uh, and therefore we have 12 independent technology organizations across the nation. We also have five independent business lines that, that operate within the Fed. I mentioned the payments, I mentioned supervision, I mentioned markets, I mentioned cash. Uh, these are all business lines. And you have technology organizations supporting those business lines. And in my role as the system CIO is really to bring along those technology organizations into a unified technology strategy uh, and a technology plan that helps serve the Fed's mission. Um, so the uniqueness is we're running a highly federated, uh, highly matrixed organization uh, in an organization that's mission focused. Uh, but also runs a business. So that's really sort of the different um, complexities or the opportunities and the challenges that we have to do to run the Fed's uh, technology. Uh, but also remember, the Fed is a 100-year organization. So a lot of our technology is legacy. Um, and that's why the digital transformation strategy that we're working on is really to take that technology that's sometimes 40 years old or more and, and modernize that technology and bring us to more of the current century so that we can keep pace with the changing technology landscape, but also keep pace with the business expectations uh, to run a highly functioning uh, central bank for the United States. So amazing. You know, I've got uh, six very enthusiastic mystery questioners ready to jump in. So they provided questions and I want to go to the first one, Gata, because I think it really, someone who knows you well, someone who's kind of on the inside with you, understands this complexity. And I think this question will actually help us uh, even understand even more so some of those uh, some of those challenges. So let's listen into the first question. Gotti, you have a unique role amongst many CIOs in terms of one of leading one of the most complicated federated organizations. I know the joke was always there's no one person who can say yes, but 20,000 people who can say no. What are some best practices you'd share that has led you to be so successful leading a federated org? Great. Well, it's so good to hear uh, Don Anderson's voice. Uh, thank you, Don, for the question. And I know that Don lived the life <laughs> of uh, a lot of people can say no uh, and very few can say yes, because he led the implementation of the ERP system for the Fed, uh, delivering a standard technology for finance, HR and procurement. So great to hear from you, Dan. And yes, uh, the joke is I have 12 bosses. Uh, and, uh, you know, to Dan's, Don's question, uh, question uh, a lot of people uh, have a, a vote and a lot of people have an opinion. Uh, again, it's the nature of the Fed uh, of having 12 independent organizations and therefore uh, 12 independent voices. You know, in the private industry, the saying is follow the money. Within the Fed, what I learned is for, for me to be successful in driving strategy and making decisions is to follow the governance. Uh, there is a fairly, uh, you know, elaborate governance uh, structure within the Fed. And if a leader understands how the governance works and figures out how to work the government so that the governance serves the purpose, then they can be successful. And that's what I uh, was able to do is to understand the governance very, very early on and then leverage that governance to navigate and make the decisions in a timely manner. Another mantra that I use with my team is make governance work for us. And if it's too complicated, try to simplify it. And I've done that within IT. As I described, we have 15 independent entities. And in order to make decisions, it was really hard to bring 15 people and have them say yes uh, on a common strategy. So bring them in early on, uh, engage them early on, get their voices baked in early on, and therefore the product becomes their own. Uh, and it's really hard to call uh, your product 
not good or not not great. Uh, so by in, involving them early, uh, we got to a faster decision making, uh, and we're making progress on our strategy. Yeah, we'll we'll dive more into that. And you know, thank you, Don Anderson, who's who's. Uh, I, you know, I know when he took on that role, you know, that that initiative, yeah, everyone said, don't do it. You know, it's exactly it's a, it's a career ending move. Don't do it, Don. And he, went, <laughs> and, he and he just and he crushed it. And uh, just a very courageous leader. Uh, God, I've got another great question from somebody who's in the trenches with you today and uh, really kind of shines a light on more of your superpowers. So let's uh, let's listen in on this one. In the context of a federated organization where there's a wide range of stakeholders, priorities, centers of authority. How do you negotiate the complexity there to deliver value to the organization? Hard to not know yeah, that yeah, accent, Anthony. right? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really hard to beat that accent. You're right, Dan Hansen. Thank you. Uh, Dan uh, is the CIO uh, that have just uh, implemented our real-time payment system, FedNow. Um, and Dan has introduced a lot of firsts uh, within the Fed. Uh, and is aligned with the strategy that we're advancing for the Fed, which is driving uh, towards agile delivery, uh, modern technology, software engineering practices, and getting things done on time. Uh, so congrats, Dan, for uh, implementing uh, the FedNow program and really looking forward to high adoption of our real-time payment system uh, across the country. Um, so, yes, federated organization, decision-making is complicated uh, and navigating that is, is highly complicated. Again, back to sort of the formula, bring people along from the very beginning, uh, make them have skin in the game uh, and make them part of the team. Uh, part, you know, things do not get delivered individually at the Fed. Uh, and by building that team, giving them a direction, giving them a North Star, uh, and making them part of the solution is really how I was able to uh, get get things done. Um, the other piece that is uh, interesting here is people get excited when you give them almost a mission impossible to go deliver. And I think we saw that with the FedNow program, uh, you know, within a three-year time frame, we were able to deliver uh, a real-time payment system. That is a, a very high uh, bar that we've set for the organization. And with Dan's leadership, we were able to deliver it. Uh, in time. Uh, so really getting people excited about the mission, get, getting people excited about the result and showing them the what and the why is really how we got things done. Yeah, maybe you could shine a light on. Thank you, Dan, Anthony. That was uh, a great question. And just, you know, just so incredibly impressed with the caliber of executives at the Fed, especially in, in the technology organization. So uh, good on good on you all there. You know, the digital transformation strategy, you've, you're working very closely with a unique C-suite. Um, who, who makes up that C-suite, uh, Gara? So I, I really need to uh, highlight the C-suite that they have been uh, some of the best leaders, most engaged, most supportive, uh, and uh, most uh, inspirational in terms of the C-suite that I work with. And really without their support uh, and leadership across the system, uh, the job would be 10 times harder. Um, so again, back to 12 independent uh, organizations and therefore 12 presidents, 12 chief operating officers, 12 CIOs, et cetera. Uh, again, I'm not saying anything unique uh, to a global organization uh, out there in the industry. Um, so we have uh, a C-suite that is heavily engaged in the technology strategy because technology is such an important part of uh, the Fed's mission. Uh, it was important to have uh, focused attention on the technology and the technology strategy. Um, within my C-suite uh, that you call my C-suite uh, are four bank presidents and six uh, chief operating officers from uh, the 12 reserve banks uh, that we operate within. And they're responsible uh, to make sure that we have the right strategy for the system, and that we are managing the risk of technology and technology implementation appropriately, that we're looking with a, with a keen eye on talent and how we progress and advance talent for the Fed, 
to support the technology and to support the business. And of course, supporting the collective team in making the progress and achieving the results that we want to achieve with technology. So they're very engaged. They're very supportive. Uh, they are part of the visionary uh, group that I lean on and rely on to make sure that we have the right strategy uh, for the Fed and that we're doing all the right things uh, to help the Fed achieve its critical mission. You talk about talent a lot. God, I know you're a very people-oriented people leader and uh, give us a sense at the Fed, how many technologists are there? I, I, I had a little tongue-in-cheek earlier, right? I said it's a bunch of boring bankers and economists, but we know we know different. How many folks are in the technology organization there? So it's interesting. This is the hidden uh, gem within the Fed. Uh, you know, technology group is a large group within the Federal Reserve, but it's, it's stemming from the critical role that technology plays within the Fed's mission. Uh, we are a 5,000 strong uh, group. Um, and uh, before I uh, got into the role of the CIA, the CIO, uh, those technology groups were running independently, uh, serving independent agendas. And I thought that there was this huge opportunity to bring that talent and the power of that talent together and really tap into the scale and the, and the uh, skill that we have across the system and, and help advance a much more, uh, you know, aspirational uh, objectives for technology for the system. Um, so really, I, I believe that people are the really the bloodline and, and the force behind technology and investing in people is really important. So part of our strategy is a talent and a workforce strategy uh, that we have invested significantly in upskilling our talent from our current, as I said, legacy um, type mode into modern technology like cloud, agile, software engineering, product management, et cetera. Uh, and now with the introduction of AI and machine learning, uh, we're also starting to introduce AI and machine learning uh, capabilities. Uh, the other piece of uh, the strength of the talent is we are a national footprint. So when we hire and recruit and attract talent, we are also tapping into the scale of the country and different uh, universities that exist across the country as part of our recruiting engine. Um, and the last thing is we have it rolled out an employee value proposition that starts to talk about all the cool things that we're doing within technology at the Fed and to start exposing that hidden gem within the Fed, which is the technology group. Um, so uh, happy, lucky to have uh, that group of talent working with us uh, and we'll continue to invest in people. Well, I know you've got uh, some great work on this, some really important work and, and great talent wanting to be part of it. And, you know, even with 5,000 team members, uh, you still can't do it all, right? You still have to make hard decisions, still have to make the the right bets on on the future. And I've got a mystery question teed up that I think will help us unpack how you maybe work through that, that dynamic. So let's listen in, Gata. Hi, Gata. How do you think about IT strategy? There's so many things that we could be focusing on as a Federal Reserve system. And yet you have a very clear vision of how we are conducting and executing on our IT strategy on behalf of the business. I'd love to hear more about how you would get so focused and really hone in on the strategies that we should be focusing on in technology. Thank you, Louise. Louise Willard is the Chief Information Officer of the San Francisco Fed. Uh, and uh, Louise is a veteran of the Fed, uh, has been uh, there for many years, uh, but is really talented in continuing to learn and advance uh, you know, her technology acumen and drive a lot of really good outcomes for the system. So thank you, Louise, for, uh, for the question. Um, you know, strategies uh, and technology strategies, uh, again, I believe that technology is in, is in the business for the business. Um, so defining a technology strategy needs to start with sitting down with the business leaders and having conversations about, you know, where is the business going? What is the business uh, desiring to achieve uh, in the next three years, five years? 
the other piece of uh, the technology strategy needs to understand and comprehend the technology trends that are out there. Um, so looking and scanning and having conversations about what's coming our way uh, is really important. And then IT is a business itself. I mean, 5,000 employees, large footprint, uh, lots of investments, uh, critical uh, mission and objective. Uh, looking at us uh, as an organization and trying to figure out where do we want to be when we grow up? How do we get from good to great? Um, and pulling all those pieces and parts. And then again, engaging the team uh, to pull all these pieces and parts to set a vision for the tech, for the organization, set a set of goals and a set of priorities that we're going to go work on. And that's how we get focused. And uh, that's how we sort of get the resources rallied uh, and the investments prioritized and focused on these outcomes that we're trying to achieve. Of course, Things will happen. As we all know, in the last year, uh, Gen AI and open AI and, and machine learning and large language models have hit the street and it's ramping up in terms of uh, velocity and relevance and importance. Uh, so it's really important to be open-minded and understand what's going on around us and be open-minded to adjusting and reprioritizing and, and adding and changing to the strategies to keep it ever relevant. So um, that's how I approach strategy. Uh, I think Louise was a key member in, in formulating the current strategic plan for IT and it's really good to work with her. Yeah, great response, great question. Uh, thank you, uh, Louise, and just indicative of the great leaders there. You know, God, it's interesting. A couple minutes ago, you made reference to Mission Impossible. And it's funny because I, I thought if I were to give a, a movie title to 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 describe God, it would be Mission Impossible. You take on those those big gnarly roles, you 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 take on things that are maybe aren't gonna succeed, right? But you you jump in and you know, one of my favorite God stories is the uh, FOMC story, if you know the one I'm I'm speaking about. But I'd love to have you just maybe kind of speak to the significant, what the FOMC is, the significance, and how you came to be part of that, part of that meeting. I cannot believe that you remember that story. <laughs> <laughs> I should have not told you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a great story. I do love gnarly problems. I uh, love challenges. I love change. And uh, they are a magnet for me. Um, I think if I want to go back to the FOMC story, uh, what I learned uh, as I was growing up in my career is it doesn't hurt to ask. And it really started, my experience with it doesn't hurt to ask, started when I got a job offer at some point in my career for a new job. And I looked at the, uh, at the salary and it wasn't competitive to the marketplace. Uh, and I hesitated. Do I negotiate? Do I not negotiate? It was uh, very early in my career. And then I thought, hmm, you know what, I'm going to, what's, what's the last thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen? It's a no. Uh, and, you know, and then I have to contemplate whether I accept the salary or not. And so I went back and renegotiated the salary and, and I got the market value that I felt um, the job deserved as well as I deserved. And then when I got on board into the organization and I asked the leader, why did you offer uh, this uh, salary? And the leader said, well, because I'm cheap. <laughs> and uh, I thought, you know, why not try it? Uh, and as a result of that, I encouraged a lot of young women leaders that, uh, you know, consult with me about job offers that they uh, are taking to say, ask, negotiate, everything's negotiated. What's the worst thing that can happen? Uh, you can get a no. So take that forward, fast forward into the current experience. Um, the Federal Open Market uh, Committee is, you know, a very closed door, highly closed door uh, meeting. And this is where monetary policy gets decided. And it's very select people that can attend that. Uh, and I was intrigued, uh, you know, being a leader within the Federal Reserve, uh, I'm intrigued to see how the machine works. That's part of uh, a, a key component of the mission of the Fed. And I was just intrigued to see how the machine worked. Um, so back to ask, what's the worst thing that can happen is a no. 
Uh, so I did approach uh, my boss, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond president, and I said, Tom, I am really interested as a learning experience to sit through an FOMC meeting just to watch how the machine works. And I believe it's going to make me a better leader for this for the system uh, to understand that part of the business. Um, and Tom said, sure, I am willing to sponsor you, uh, but it's really not my decision. It's the decision of the chairman uh, and the board of governors. Um, so Tom submitted a request on my behalf, sponsoring me to attend one of the FOMC meetings. And I got the approval uh, of the chair to attend. Uh, and I'm very, very grateful for that opportunity. Uh, I got to sit at the table to watch how uh, the monetary policy gets decided. Um, and it, this is an experience and a memory that will forever be with me uh, as a, a privileged opportunity to be at that table. So many golden nuggets there. God, I love the story. And I love, um, don't be afraid to ask, right? For our folks who are coming up, up and coming. I mean, you you had the courage. You um, you had your data. You knew what the role was worth. You had, you knew your value and you had the confidence to say, let's, let's give it a shot. And I think those are great, great teachings. And, you know, taking that theme, uh, as you're leading a large organization through transformation, this is hard work. This is heavy work, a lot of change. Everyone loves change when it's somebody else doing the changing, right? But how do you instill confidence in your people to get on the journey, to, to go do things they never thought they could go do? You know, how do you engage them in that journey? Yeah, uh, winning the hearts and minds of people is what leaders need to do and have to do. Uh, because as I said, job does not get done without the people. I keep telling my people, if you don't do what you do, uh, you know, I would not be sitting in this chair uh, because uh, somebody else will be sitting in this chair. Um, again, back to the strategy. How do people know what we're supposed to do? Uh, and, uh, you know, Anchoring on a strategy, anchoring on a North Star, anchoring on a direction of this is the what that we're trying to achieve. And this is the what that is important for the organization and important uh, for the mission that we want to achieve. And here's also the why. Why is it important? Why is it relevant? By telling, showing the people the what and the why through that strategy, um, the, you got their attention. That's number one. And in, involving them in the making of the what and the why so that they understand, uh, you know, the direction. That's number one. Number two, strategies could be so complicated and so full of jargon and weird words. Uh, so keeping it simple so that people can understand it. One of the uh, litmus tests that we use is if I left the strategy, you know, in a printout on the printer and somebody picks it up, can they read it and understand it? And if they couldn't, then it's not good enough. Uh, and it's not simple enough to win the hearts and minds of people. Number three, we love to refer to it as the SOAP, which is the strategy on a page, in short. Uh, and having a SOAP uh, that we sort of make available to everybody, we open up all of our meetings with that SOAP so that people continue to anchor on that direction and on that strategy. And then last but not least, communicate, communicate, communicate. Again, you can say it once, people may get it, Many will not. You say it twice, more will get it, more will not. And then if you keep repeating and, and communicating that strategy, ultimately people will understand it, will embrace it, will rally behind it and, and get it done. And of course, celebrate wins, celebrate successes. Uh, you know, small wins matter because strategy takes a long time. Direction and, and technology implementations take a long time. So celebrate those wins and milestones and continue to, uh, to be, motivate people along the way is really, really important. Just golden nuggets. I love soap. That's, that's brilliant. And uh, the, uh, the printer. Uh, story. That's really rich. <laughs> That's the best of the printer, yeah. Yeah, yeah, really good. Yeah, you know, we've got another uh, mystery question, number four, from someone who works very closely with you in the trenches. 
and I think can help us understand more of your secret sauce, Ghana. So let's uh, let's listen in. I've had the opportunity to observe you lead through crisis and strategy. In those situations, being intentional about valuing diverse perspectives. How and when did you develop that approach? Awesome. Tammy Hornsby Fink, our Chief Information Security Officer. And her and I have been in trenches uh, a couple of times. Thank goodness, not too many times, uh, but a couple of times. And she is uh, the master in staying calm in the storm and staying focused on objective evaluation of risks and and, uh, opportunities. So super um, fortunate to work with Tammy uh, at the Fed here. Um, yeah, calming the storm while focusing on crisis management, but at the same time, not losing sight of the future. Um, I've had that firsthand experience when I was announced as CIO for the Fed. So I was announced as CIO of the Fed and I started my job January 2020. And of course, just like any normal CIO, you start with your 90-day plan. And your 90-day plan is about talking to stakeholders, understanding, you know, what the system view about technology is, where the needs, where the opportunities. And COVID hits. March 6th, the system had to go remote and we had to go into crisis mode responding to the COVID shutdown. Um, so throw away that 90-day plan and get back, get into the trenches uh, and start figuring out how to enable the collaboration technology for the system, uh, support the monetary policy and the uh, recovery, uh, you know, facilities that the country had to uh, offer in order to maintain a healthy economy. Um, so balancing that crisis mode, while knowing that as a new CIO, it was really important to develop a strategic direction and a strategic plan for the system was sort of the challenge is how do you continue to focus on crisis response, but at the same time, keep an eye on the future. Uh, What was really uh, fortunate here is that crisis mode And the way that technology handled that crisis for the Fed earned us significant credibility. So how do you take a crisis and turn it into an opportunity? And I realized early on, our performance during the crisis will determine whether we have a seat at the table uh, with the business leaders. Uh, So it was really important to focus on crisis response, communicating what we're doing, making the business understand that we got their back that we will make sure that the business can continue to run without a glitch by taking advantage of the technology and making sure that the technology will work for the business. So by doing that, by focusing on recovering and responding from the crisis, earned us a seat at the table, earned us a lot of credibility so that when the time came to have a conversation about strategy and about direction for the system, our voices were uh, you know, were heard, our voices were relevant, uh, and they knew that we knew what we were talking about. They knew that we uh, understood how important the mission is, how important the businesses are, because we've demonstrated that we are able to deliver the mission and the business. Uh, and therefore, it was an easy, easier sailing, uh, not too super easy sailing, but easier sailing to actually work with the business lines define the strategy, define a set of priorities, and rally the teams from across the system to work on that common strategy. You know, God, I'm thinking about one of your earlier uh, points you made. I mean, half of payroll goes to the Fed, right? So never never hitch. Uh, all the ATM, right, backing, the backing of the bank. I mean, it's just, just tell, we just take these things for granted, but uh, things could have gone very differently back in 2020. So great, great work to you and the team there. Thank you. Got in your journey, you know, uh, one of your roles was at Intel Corporation. Uh, you, had a, you had a big role there and uh, you were led by the, the amazing, the you know, iconic Andy Grove, right? And Andy was um, just, just an amazing leader. He wrote the book, Only the Paranoid Survived. And you know the book very well. And so 
You know, do you think paranoia is a uh, a leadership strength today, or is it a is it a is an Achilles? Well, thanks for aging me, first of all, <laughs> by sharing that I worked for Intel during the Andy Grove era. Definitely. People well, you're nine do... years old, Ghana. So exactly. You exactly. Young. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was uh, an amazing experience to be part of that organization when uh, uh, the late Andy Grove was leading that organization. It was like a... Uh, first-hand lesson of leadership uh, and management discipline. And yes, that was a mandatory reading, but it was a, a good reading. Uh, and it stuck with me. Only the paranoid survived. And I use that a lot with my team. Only the paranoid survives. And, and really, paranoia is not about you running around with your hair on fire. Paranoia in this context is really about Understanding what's going on around you, understanding what is changing, uh, what is different. And with that change, uh, is it necessary to step back and revisit some of the decisions? Uh, is it introducing new risks? Is it introducing new opportunities that needs to be accounted for as you're progressing with your strategy? So, you know, within the context of my role here at the Fed, and the reason I keep bringing up uh, only the paranoid survives to the team uh, here at the Fed is because we have a three-year to five-year strategic plan. But again, as we are seeing, uh, the world is changing at a much faster pace, uh, whether it's from a technology, whether it's from businesses being disrupted, whether it's from a geopolitical environment changing and introducing new risks and, and new challenges. And because of the mission of the Fed and because of where the Fed sits within the universe, it's really important to keep an eye and watch what's going on around us so that we can adjust and course correct at the right time before it's too late. Um, I'll give you an example. Again, I mentioned Gen AI and, and Open AI. Um, typically, the Fed's reaction to some of those very new technologies that are going through that hype cycle is to shut it down. Um, so I hear stories about the Fed in the, in the olden days when the internet was introduced. It was shut down until the Fed understood the use cases and the risks and the security challenges with the internet. Uh, we would have done the exact same thing with Gen AI because it's new technology. We don't understand the risks. We don't understand the challenges that comes with that new technology. But because of the only paranoid survives and because we are keeping an eye and a pulse on uh, what's going on around us in the, in the environment, we decided to take a more responsible innovation approach with that technology. And what that meant is creating a sandbox, creating a safe environment where people can go and experiment with it. Because the technology is available. Anybody can, can download it and start using it. So the risk of not allowing it in the environment and, and having people go use it independently are greater than the risk of accepting it, adopting it, and creating that sandbox and, and playground for people to test and experiment. We quickly issued some guide, guardrails and guidelines for people to use it. And we created the environment for people to use it. And where we are right now, actually, and in a very short period of time, we are now looking at business use cases, working with the business leaders to prioritize and identify a couple in each area of innovations or use cases uh, that we could use to test and prove the value of that technology for the Fed. And uh, we're also working on an unwrapping capability. So if we test a use case and we find it's useful, how do we bring it into production? And what does that look like? And what kind of controls do we need to put in place? What kind of guardrails in production do we need to put in place? What kind of monitors do we need to be in place? So therefore, we're through this lens of only the paranoid survives and understanding what's going on, we're setting a pipeline of introducing new technology that is relevant to the business, that is current, uh, that is going through the hype cycle very, very quickly uh, in a safe way for the Fed. Well, God, I think, I think the audience is starting to appreciate um, why you were recently 
and not to embarrass you, but you were recently inducted into the CIO Hall of Fame. I was there in the room. It was magical. It was, it was special. Um, your daughter was there. Uh, but I just want to congratulate you again. That's a special honor and very well-deserved. Thank you so much. Yeah, we um, we also, during that same, the CIO 100 Awards event, uh, you and I and uh, a few other award-winning CIOs did a two-and-a-half-hour leadership masterclass. Um, it was the, the brilliant idea of, uh, of uh, Elizabeth Cutler from Foundry. And so thank you, Elizabeth, for including us. But you and Anukare, the CIO for Oshkosh Corporation, uh, and I had a session around kind of the workforce strategies that you both employ that make you such a great place to work. So I wonder if you might shine some of the light on some of those secret sauce around your workforce strategy. You mentioned it earlier, um, but you, you and you and uh, you and I do think about this in a very different way. I think we can learn from. So what, what would you add to to that? Well, Dan, thanks for hosting us in that session. That was an amazing session. Uh, the amount of energy uh, that was shared between uh, the CIOs that were there uh, was just, uh, you know, very, very high. And I learned so much from my colleagues uh, by listening to their stories and their experiences. So thanks for hosting it. And it was a standing room only, so very well attended. And I appreciate that. Um, People, again, um, I, I truly believe uh, and I embrace it and I, I sort of walk the talk with it. People are the reason why we are able to do what we do. Uh, you know, we talk about IT as technology, but really IT is a group of really smart people uh, with a very, very uh, focus and commitment, uh, high commitment to the mission. Uh, that they're working on um, that apply technology to solve problems. Um, so winning the hearts and minds of people uh, is really the way to get things done. And again, as I was growing up, uh, you know, as a results-oriented leader, sometimes uh, I focused more on results than on people. And I learned the hard way, but thank goodness, very early on in my career is if you don't bring people along, you will fail. Actually, I had uh, one time in my career where I wanted to introduce agile ways of working into the organization, but the organization, the group was resisting adopting agile because they felt that the technology that they're working on does not lend itself towards agile delivery and agile development. So again, young me, what did I do? I went and hired a consulting firm. Uh, to sort of force fit it into the environment. Uh, and little did I know that the folks had the keys to the kingdom uh, and therefore uh, they would put roadblocks every step of the way uh, in uh, the way of making progress. So I recognized, back to only the paranoid survives, I recognized that there were signals that the progress is not the right progress. So I pulled the team together, thank goodness. And I said, hey, what's going on? And they said, well, you shoved it down our throats. We don't buy into it. <laughs> we're not going to let you be. Uh, and I said, okay, let's step back. Let's figure out how to solve this together. And then people embraced it by bringing them along and sa you know, saying, let's solve this together. They embraced it. And we made a lot of really good progress and, and everybody was happy with the outcome, including the people. And the lesson I learned from that is bring people along from the very beginning because they're the ones that can make things and magic happen. Um, so with that in mind, the strategy that we have embraced for the Fed as we advance cloud agile product management and uh, modern digital technologies is to bring people along. Uh, and our strategy is what we call 30-30-30. Uh, the first 30 are people that have the skill and the talent uh, to adopt and embrace and work on those new technologies because we hired them in uh, with those skills. The other 30% are people that have enough of the base skills. Uh, and if we teach them and, and give them a training program and development program, they will learn the skills that we need for the future. The last 30 are people that either they don't want to learn because they're at that stage of their career where they say, I don't have enough runway to be able to learn and implement my new skills, or 
they don't buy into the mission, they don't buy into the direction, or they they're so off from a skill set perspective that we need to have a different conversation with them. Um, and that last 30 is the the group that we wanted to replace or, or sort of attrit through attrition, manage and, and bring the new skills. That resonated so much with the organization and what we have achieved in the last three years with the training program is over 70% of the team members have gone through the training, got the certifications and got the skills that we need uh, to continue to progress on our strategy. So I've got, I've got, I've got two things left. Uh, number one is something you and I really love to do, which is, which is the idea of give back. And, uh, you know, as you know, we do the, the scholarship, what we call Tech for Good, and we have uh, scholarships, $150,000 a year we commit. And uh, we give you the ability on the show to gift that seat in that program, uh, the Cyber LX, our Cyber Leadership Program, or Tech LX. So do you have somebody in mind that you'd like to uh, be the beneficiary of the scholarship? Yeah, sure. And then thank you so much for having uh, the good uh, doing good deeds as part of this program. This is awesome that you are investing in, uh, you know, in others uh, through your program. And yes, I am part of the leadership uh, team on the Cyversity DC chapter. And this is an organization, it's a nonprofit organization that's focusing on bringing along uh, underrepresented minorities, women, and veterans, uh, and encouraging them into. Uh, pursuing careers in cybersecurity, which as we all know is an evolving field and a growing field as more and more gets digitized and as more bad actors uh, develop new ways of uh, creating uh, bad for the world. So I uh, would love to uh, direct the funds uh, towards Cyversity DC chapter. Outstanding. Yeah, uh, we will definitely uh, make that happen. And uh, thanks for being part of that. I mean, giving back like that. And and uh, we'll definitely shine the light on this great organization. Got a um, last question is from somebody who you know very well. Um, and I think it's just a great way to put a big bow on this podcast. In fact, I thought the question was so good that we actually are going to name the podcast after this question. So let's listen in. Finding your voice and being great and positively contributing to the world is an incredible privilege and frankly, a noble aspect of leadership. What are the most impactful ways or experience you've had that have helped you find your voice and impact the world? Dee Waddell, it's so good to hear from you. Dee Waddell was the CIO of Amtrak and I worked for him and with him. It's so good to hear back from you. And Dee right now is the head of the transportation business within IBM. And uh, from everything I see on LinkedIn, he's doing uh, a lot of great things uh, in that space. Um, yeah, finding my voice and, and, and creating my leadership identity. It really comes from having great mentors, great sponsors, and great role models uh, throughout my career that I have learned uh, to uh, look up to, uh, have uh, benefited from coaching and mentoring from them uh, to fine tune my leadership uh, skill and how I show up as a leader. Um, one of the key uh, pivot points in my career is uh, when I was at Intel and I would look up at the C-suite and there was not uh, a woman leader on that C-suite. And the pivot point was when the CIO was appointed uh, as a woman leader. And that's when I decided I want to be a CIO in the future. And just watching how she operated, watching her communication, and watching how she uh, rallied people across the globe to follow her vision and mission uh, was uh, an example of the kind of leader I want to be. Uh, and sh having that role model helped me figure out what kind of a leader do I want to be and how do I uh, want to show up when I grow up. And that's helped me find my leadership voice and my leadership style. Another story that specifically with D is uh, really challenging myself to take on risks. 
Uh, he did approach me one time with a, a job that I felt that I was not fully qualified for. Uh, and uh, when he first approached me, I said no. Um, and then the second time he approached me, uh, he said, are you going to say no this time? <laughs> and he actually shared with me the story of Jeannie Rometty and uh, her thought process uh, when she became CEO of IBM. And, and he said, go read this article and then come back to me with an answer whether you want to take that role or not. Uh, and I said, yes, after that. And, and the trajectory uh, was humongous after that decision. So Dee, thank you for coaching and mentoring me in, in, a, in a unique way uh, to help me find uh, who I am as a leader, to help me find my voice and uh, putting me on a path of a high trajectory from a career perspective. Well, D1L, one of the true um, legends, right? Seattle legends, just so highly regarded. And, and God, I know that that, um, that first Intel female CI was an inspiration to you. And I know you've been an inspiration to many, many, many people since that time. So I really appreciate you. And gosh, I wish we had another hour because I've got so many things I want to ask you about. But we're going to talk some more. Um, and we're going to publish an article next week on CIO.com. We're going to do a blog together. And I'm going to title it The Great Leadership Balancing Act because some of the topics I want to talk to you about, Gada, are going to be around um, the whole notion of, of leading with courage and boldness, you know, but at the same time, building trust and credibility. We're going to talk about, you mentioned earlier about leading with heart, but still delivering results. So that great balancing act, tricky, right? Uh, things like about how do you bring energy and the ability to energize people every day, you know, while staying calm through the storm. So some of the, just a little sneak peek into the blog, but, you know, I've been looking forward to this for a long time, Gata. Uh, just so fun to be with you. Just so excited to shine the light on you, the Fed, your your leadership journey. So thank you again for for taking time and and uh, sharing your your leadership wisdom. Thank you for having me. It's so good to hang out with you, Dan. You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woolette and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.